When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me these three times? Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand. I would kill you right now. But the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I been in the habit of treating you this way? And he said, No. Balaam is a fascinating biblical character. I think that Christians, in particular, are not quite sure what to do with him. His story is not only uncomfortably fantastic for biblical literalists, it's also rather self-contradictory. The fact of the matter seems to be that the character and the story of Balaam were so important to the people who wrote the Bible that just about everyone wanted to have a crack at them. And what we have in the Bible is an amalgam of a bunch of different stories and sources. And yes, that can be a bit confusing. But I also feel that as a storyteller, it gives me a lot of freedom to tell my own version. After all, everyone else has had a chance to tell their story of Balaam. Why not me too? This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 2.9 When the Donkey is the Smart One Come on down to Balaam's Blessing Emporium, where the buyer is always right. Do you have friends that you want to have good things happen to? Or maybe you have enemies who need to have bad things happen to them. Either way, you've come to the right place. Balaam, the son of Baor, has a direct line to whatever god you might like to influence. Baal? Astarte? El? Dagon? He knows how to make them all work for you. Do you need plagues, pestilence, peril, pain? Balaam has them all for you at one convenient location. So come on down to Petor, which is on the Euphrates in the land of Amah, and visit Balaam's Blessing Emporium today. Balaam's ad had been running on heavy rotation in all of the marketplaces in all of the towns in the entire region for months now. And it was a good ad. He knew that it was. But it had yet to bring in any new business. It was frustrating. Balaam knew very well that he was the best caster of blessings and of curses that anyone had ever seen. And yet in the past year, his talents had been wasted. Wasted on 
minor disputes between neighbors and lovesick girls who wanted the hunk from the next village to fall in love with them. He knew that he could do so much more if only he was given the chance, and yet no one wanted to hire him, not even with his low, affordable rates. He was ready to do something big, something that people would remember for generations. When would he get the chance? These were the thoughts that were weighing down on him one afternoon, weighing so heavily that he almost didn't notice the men who came calling at his door. He looked up, just in time to see a half-dozen men who had obviously come a great distance. "'Are you Balaam?' they asked. "'I am,' he replied. "'Are you the son of Beor?' whose ads the king of Moab heard playing in the marketplace? I am the very same, he replied. Well, Balak, the king of the Moabites, has sent us to you. He's got a job for you. Balaam sat up straighter and smoothed out the front of his tunic. He had a strong sense that everything was about to change for him. I'm listening, he said. The king sends you his regards, and asks for your help in dealing with a threat to his kingdom. A new people have come out of the land of Egypt, and are passing through his land. They have spread out over the land like flies settling on a carcass, and they look like they are planning to stay. They are too many for the king to fight, and he wants you to curse them, so that they go away. I see said Balaam, with a great show of deep thought, even as he suppressed a greedy smile. Well, you've certainly come to the right place. I am certain that I can help you, but please tell me about this encroaching nation. Who are they? What gods do they serve? They are called the Hebrews, or the Israelites. We're not sure which. And they belong to a god named Yahweh. But we understand that you deal with all gods, and this one will not prove a challenge to you. Hmm, replied Balaam. Yame, uh, yes, I've, I've heard of him. Uh, uh, difficult god, a uh, very difficult god. You'll have to let me sleep on this. I will answer you in the morning. Balaam knew, of course, that this could be a big score for him the cursing of an entire nation. But he couldn't allow himself to seem too eager. There was still the matter of his price to be settled, after all. So he looked at them closely, trying to gauge just how desperate they were to buy his services as they went away to find hospitality for themselves. The next morning he turned them down flat. Can't do it, he said. This is a very complicated god we're dealing with here. I hope you understand. They left disappointed and angry. But they would be back. Of course they would be back. And they were. Several weeks later. In fact, there were more of them. They also brought many gifts of gold, silver, and precious stones. In fact... They brought even more than Balaam had imagined that they would. 
and he could imagine a lot. He knew that this time he would be going with them, but he still went through the motions, told them that he had to sleep on it, and made them wait until morning. Early the next day, he reassured them that, yes, he would go with them. They all smiled, for the king had warned them that they would be punished severely if they failed to bring the soothsayer back with them this time. Balaam saddled his donkey and rode out with the king's messengers. He had some major cursing to do. They had been traveling for a few days with few problems when strange things started to happen. Balaam didn't think much of it the first time when his donkey took a strange and unexpected turn, running off the path and into a field of barley that rose to rub against its belly. The donkey had always been very obedient and restrained, so Balaam certainly thought that it was weird, but he just whipped the animal with his switch until it finally turned back and continued down the path. The men from Moab saw this and started mocking the diviner, asking him how he could control the will of a god when he couldn't even control his donkey. Balaam heard their questions and their laughter, but he didn't respond. He maintained a look on his face that said he was far too holy and too important to be concerned with such worldly matters as donkeys. But inside, he seethed. The next time it happened, the path was much more narrow as they passed between some grapevines. Again, the donkey turned aside, but there was nowhere to go this time, and so Balaam's foot scraped against the wall. Balaam yelped out in pain and beat the beast all the harder. The men also laughed all the louder. But the third time was the worst, and the most embarrassing of all. The way was extremely narrow, and all of a sudden the bloody donkey just stopped right there and lay down in the road. Balaam just broke. He couldn't take it any more. Here he was supposed to be an all-knowing seer who could make any god change his or her mind on a whim, who was worthy of making demands from kings and princes alike, and he couldn't even get a stupid donkey to go straight down a narrow path? No, this was unacceptable. And he reached down and took up his staff, ready to beat the animal to death if he had to. Let us pause here for a moment to plunge into the feeble brain of that poor beast. All of her life, she had only known one thing, service. Specifically, she had de dedicated her entire life to the service of one particular individual who had always taken care of her, given her a warm, dry place to sleep and food to eat. That was about the best life that you could hope for as a donkey. The work was hard and had only gotten harder over the years as the master prospered and his belly grew fatter. But 
at least it was a fair exchange. You did what you were supposed to do and you got what you needed in return. But this, this wasn't fair. She was just doing her job, getting her master where he wanted to go. He never watched the road, had always counted on her to go around any obstacle. And there had been an obstacle, a big, scary one. Was it her fault that he couldn't see it because, as usual, he couldn't see anything beyond his own needs and what mattered to him? But she could see, see a lot more than her bloated master could. She knew when an undeniable reality stood right in front of her. In all her years of service, the donkey had never spoken up for herself. Sure, there had been the odd ray of protest at a heavy load or a long walk, but mostly she had just suffered in silence. But somewhere in her feeble mind, she recognized that this, this finally was something that she could not let pass without a genuine protest. She began to compose the loudest and most eloquent bray of her entire lifetime. But that wasn't quite what came out. <laughs> hey! Raid the donkey. Hey! Why are you doing that? Three times you have struck me. Three times. Just stop it. Why am I doing this? Because you're making me look like a fool, shouted Balaam, uh, totally making himself look even more foolish to the men by shouting like a crazy man at a donkey. In fact, he continued, if this were a sword instead of my staff, I wouldn't hesitate to cut you into little pieces. Think, man! Just think for a minute, said the beast. I am your donkey. You know me. You have rid me every day of your life until now. Have I ever done anything like this before, ever? That did make Balaam pause because, well, it was true. The animal had always been so dependable. It was also beginning to occur to him that, as far as he could recall, uh, the donkey had never actually spoken to him before. Was it possible that he was in the presence of something truly extraordinary? Well, no, he said tentatively in response to the question. And he looked up with renewed attention to see what he might be dealing with here. Now, you don't become a famous seer like Balaam without having a certain sensitivity to things that most other people cannot see. With his attention focused, Balaam did soon detect some supernatural presence. I am the messenger of Yahweh, said the being. You are a cruel man to beat your beast so. It was trying to save your miserable life. It was I who stood in your path, ready to oppose you, to slay you. And if it had not turned aside, I would have done so. You should fall on your knees and beg that animal's forgiveness.
Balaam did indeed fall to his knees, but he was no fool. He could make peace with his animal later. Instead of speaking to the beast, he addressed the heavenly messenger. Forgive me, he said, I have displeased you. I will return to my home and go no further with these men. Balaam was wise enough to realize that he was dealing with something new here, that this Yahweh was more dangerous than the gods he was used to. Maybe he was finally out of his league. Surely it was time to cut his losses. But the messenger clearly thought differently. No, you're not getting off the hook as easy as that. You will go with them. Just, well, I'll give you your instructions when the time comes. Go! And with that, Balaam suddenly knew that the presence had withdrawn. He wasn't sure what had just happened. But it certainly seemed as if he had gotten himself involved in something a little bit more complicated than he had originally thought. Balaam stood on the hill and looked out towards the east. Balak, the king of Moab, was there too, as were his counselors, but they were not standing too close. Nobody ever wanted to stand too close to the seer. Balaam had learned that through years of experience. They had begun the morning with a series of burnt offerings, and he could still feel the smoke of the victims in his nostrils, and smell the sickening sweetness of the blood. They had come to see the Israelites who were camped on the plain. From here they appeared to be little more than a black smudge on the horizon, while the smoke of their campfires drifted in the clear blue sky. Balaam could understand why the king was nervous to have such a large nation moving through his land, but Balaam wasn't afraid of them. They were just doing what everyone else was doing, trying to make their way in an unpredictable world. What he was concerned about, however, was their God, this Yahweh they were said to serve. The encounters he had had with Yahweh so far had certainly persuaded him that he needed to proceed with all caution. He turned to King Balak. My lord, he said, you have hired the right man for this job. If anyone can help you with this problem, it is I. But I'm going to have to warn you that my business is complicated. Sometimes the gods that I am working with can be stubborn or uncooperative. And it has been revealed to me that Yahweh is one such god. I can only say what is given me to say. Balak frowned. You've been paid already, seer, he said. There is no use trying to haggle any further now, so why not just get on with your omens or incantations or whatever it is that you do? 
Balaam turned away and gazed out towards the people of Israel. Omens, he thought to himself, what does that fool know about omens? He quieted his mind and prepared to fall into the altered state that opened him up to receive messages from gods. He inhaled deeply and let his eyes go unfocused. Seer! The king loomed over Balaam as he knelt, oblivious, with his face pressed to the ground. He did not touch him. He was frightened enough not to do that, but he was angry. Balaam blinked. He wasn't sure what had just happened, and that scared him. He was used to dealing with otherworldly matters. He understood gods and spirits, honestly sometimes better than he understood people, but he had always been completely in control when he was dealing with them, just as in control as he was when he was riding on the back of his donkey, or at least as much as he had been up until last week. This week was turning out to be one big lesson in how little control he had actually had over anything. Is it done? he asked the king. Have I cursed these people to your satisfaction? Have you cursed them? thundered the king. Not only did you not curse them, you praised and blessed them like no one has ever been blessed. If I'm to believe what you said... This nation of Israel is going to grow until my own people are reduced to nothing. This is not the kind of service that I paid you for. Balaam was indeed disturbed, but he had dealt with unhappy customers before. His first priority was to placate the king in whatever way he could. Now I told you, my king. I truly can only say what I am given to say. But fear not. I'm sure that we can fix this. We probably just got something wrong with the sacrifices. Uh, maybe your people didn't quite sprinkle the blood in the right way? Believe me, I know these gods, and they can be very fussy about that kind of thing. Get some more victims. We'll just have to start all over again. Hours later... All of the extra sacrificial animals were dead, and all of the fuel for the fires had been burnt up. Balaam looked up at the king and knew that he had failed again. Balak's face was white with rage. The only reason why he wasn't drawing his sword and attacking the seer himself was that his men had taken the sword away and were physically holding him back. They couldn't forget their superstitious fear, even if the king did. But Balaam knew that before long, not even their fear would be able to restrain the king. He had to offer them something that would placate his customer. Your Majesty, he groveled. Clearly this Yahweh is a difficult god to deal with. This is a wild god 
a God you cannot manipulate with sacrifices and flattering praise. This is a God who makes promises to his people and actually intends to keep them, despite any bribery attempts on our part. This is a God who does what is right and not merely what serves divine purposes. I have never met such a God before, but I always knew that such a thing was theoretically possible. But I must confess that it is rather disorienting to deal with such a God. I am afraid, my Lord, that this is going to have to be my answer. I cannot curse these people. I can only bless them because of the faithfulness of their God. He tried to make it all sound reasonable and rational, but deep down Balaam was still reeling. He simply did not know how to deal with a God who was so stubborn, who would stick to his principles no matter what he was offered, a God whose will was not to be crossed. Hmm, there was a thought. The key thing about this Yahweh was that he could not be moved from his priorities. But what if there was a clash between one priority, like his selection of his people, and another priority, his implacable demands that they live according to his rules? What would such a god do then? Balaam turned back to the king. But I do believe that there is one last thing that we can try. It was a minor victory, really. A bout of dysentery spread throughout the Israelite camp and caused them some considerable distress for over a week. It was the kind of thing that happened often enough when you have a large group of people traveling together. But Balaam was only too happy to take full credit for the spread of the disease. He hadn't been able to accomplish it by means of a good old-fashioned curse. But he had found another way. He had had the king select some of his most alluring and beautiful young women and sent them into the camps. The women took with them gifts of sacrificial animals, which they insisted naturally should be sacrificed to the local gods of this place. They also insisted that these sacrifices didn't need to be killed and butchered according to the exacting rules that the Israelites had become accustomed to. The people ate, the dysentery followed, and Balaam's job was done. Balaam had learned one thing on this day. Maybe you couldn't make your donkey take you where you wanted to go by whipping it with a switch or even by beating it with a staff, but a wise man could always listen to what the donkey was saying and maybe find a way to get to his destination. Or he'd learned something like that. If people know anything at all about the story of Balaam, son of Beor, 
and of course many don't know anything at all. They know it as the story in which the donkey talks. Discussions about the story tend to devolve into arguments over the credibility of the Bible itself, with some denouncing the entire book as ridiculous and fantastic fiction, while the others modestly try to argue that maybe, if he really wanted to, God could make a donkey talk one time in the entire history of the world. Both groups, I suspect, are missing the entire point of the story. The story isn't about whether or not donkeys can talk. It is a story about God's commitment to the people of Israel and about people like Balaam and Balak coming to terms with that commitment. It is about a God who cannot be manipulated with religious mumbo-jumbo like sacrifices, curses, and incantations. A God who is almost as unimaginable, it seems, as a talking donkey. And I think that is why the talking donkey is there. My suspicion is that that part of the story was never taken very literally. It was always a somewhat fantastic element. And that's why I did not attempt to rationalize the miraculousness of the story at all. As you may have noticed, I have a certain tendency to do in other stories. My thought is that it is more appropriate to take the fantastic story at face value and look beyond it to find a deeper lesson about what this story is trying to teach us about God. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible, and it comes with an announcement. I have been working on this podcast almost full-time for ten weeks now. That is how I've been able to put out nine consecutive weekly episodes complete with show notes and commentary. It has been a labor of love, but I've only been able to do this because I have been on an extended intermission from my full-time job as a Presbyterian minister. Well, that intermission comes to an end in a few days, and that means that I cannot continue to work on this podcast as I have been. I do not want to stop completely. I really think that there are a lot of great biblical stories that really do need to be retold. For example, I've already started to work on telling a certain story from the point of view of a woman named Gomer, but I will aim at doing that at a much slower pace. My hope at the moment is to be able to do one a month, so I hope that if you enjoyed this story, you will remain subscribed until the next one at the end of next month. In the meantime, tell other people and rate and review this episode on iTunes or some other platform to help other people find it. The theme music for Retelling the Bible is Ada. The music for Balaam's ad is Severe Tire Damage. And the other mood music is Unwritten Return. These are all by Kevin McLeod, are licensed under the Creative Commons, and can be found at incompetech.com. Send your requests, comments, and questions to at Retelling Bible on Twitter or to our Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes and commentary for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller. W. Scott McCandless.